Welcome to SVU Pod, especially heinous. I'm Gabe. I'm Tasha. We are on season three, episode 20, Greed. Two men walk into a dark apartment. The owner of the apartment says, oh, my wife forgot to set the alarm again. I recognize the voice immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I recognize the shadowy profile, but I'm still holding my breath because it's too big. It's too, it's too big yeah. for that to be the case. But yeah. who is it? It's fucking Henry Winkler, a.k.a. The Fonz. A.k.a. my all-time favorite role of his, Barry Zuckercorn, the Bluth family defense attorney in Arrested Development. Oh, that's right. Oh my God, that's my favorite. <laughs> and he was in Waterboy. So we know, according to like SVU casting law, mm-hmm. that the perp will be the most famous person. And that is that. So we know the Fonz did it. We just have to get there. So hold on to your britches, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's it. Th- on my second watch, I watched him in a totally different light. And I can tell you about it. I'll talk about it later. Okay. So the conversation between these two dudes as they walk in, is it really setting the scene to throw us, even though we know this information about what SVU does. Mm-hmm. They're talking about opening the Fonz's restaurant. He's humble about his big fancy home. He's gushing about his wife and her eye for style and elegance. Mm-hmm. But this whole time that they're having this innocuous conversation, the Fonz is calling for his wife, Jessica, but she doesn't seem to be there. All of a sudden he walks into this hallway and finds a pair of underwear on the floor and hears her moaning. She's in mm-hmm. the kitchen on the floor covered in blood. And the Fonz mm-hmm. is like, does a knee slide to his wife, yells for the other guy to call 911, and is like cradling her head in his arms. Yeah, so the whole gang's here now. Hot lab dude is telling Benson that the victim was raped and bludgeoned. They haven't found the weapon yet, though. The lighting is doing our hot lab dude Mm -hmm. so much. It's everything, it's everything. He doesn't need it, but oh, he's glowing. Also, the Vic's name is Jessica Blaine Todd. Okay, the perp had gone upstairs and pulled out drawers and emptied closets. Stabler says there's no sign of forced entry, but the alarm was off when the Fonz came in. There's panic buttons in every room, but they just had them installed. So the Fonz is Jessica's husband. Edwin Todd. And the other guy with Edwin was his real estate guy. They had just closed on the new restaurant or put a deposit down or something and they were out celebrating. Mm -hmm. Now Jessica is on a gurney. She has a fractured skull and is kind of drifting in and out of consciousness. She's muttering gibberish about a sunset and she's not moving the right side of her body. She probably had a stroke due to the blows to the head. (gasps) I just realized when she was talking about the sunset, she was probably talking to her husband, Jerry, that she loved who died in the Bahamas. (gasps) Oh... I loved this woman, but I also, um, I, you saw my ramble notes, right? (laughs) I did. And up until I squealed when I got to your notes about that, because I was imitating her voice out loud to myself the whole time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can't. I can't. Yeah. Edward would never do this. (laughs) This gets older and more and more Mrs. Potts, like getting older. And it's like, come children uh, before I take my last breath. (laughs) Get around. (laughs) When I was your age, we had Nokias that worked the size of bricks. I graduated high school in 1995. (laughs) Uh. All right. Benson tells Stabler that they have three chimneys. Maybe the perp got in through one of them. And then Stabler says, maybe we should be looking for a guy in a red suit. And I was like, okay. Yeah. And I was thinking, like, does this air around Christmas? No. I thought that, too. I checked the date on it, too. Yeah. (laughs) And it wasn't. And then I decided that maybe it was just one of those throwaway lines that should have been thrown away. They're probably like, we should cut that. Stabler's like, leave it in. It's fucking hilarious. (laughs) Yeah. They're like, well, you were in Oz. So So you know what's funny. You get it. (laughs) 
you get comedy. All right, theme song. So now they're in the hospital. Benson is talking to the Fonz. His wife, Jessica, is paralyzed on her right side and can't speak, but he's willing to answer any questions they have right now. He's very cooperative. He had recently updated the alarm system and got new keys because there have been a string of break-ins in the neighborhood. The only other person that has access to the house is their housekeeper, Katerina. He says the door was locked when he got home, but his wife always forgets to turn on the alarm system when she's home by herself. In the squad room, Munch lets everyone know that the Fonz was right. There have been six breaking and enterings in the last month in that neighborhood. This was the only one that has become violent. Mostly people are breaking in through a window or something and just stealing shit. Benson says it's not the first time that a rapist started with burglary first and, you know, escalated. Right. Craigan wants them to check out old burglaries with the same MO. Their housekeeper, Katerina, is from the Ukraine. She's naturalized but has no rap sheet. Munch and Toots are on their way to go talk to her now. Craigan wants Benson Sabler to talk to the Fonz again and see if there's anything missing from his house. Munch is like, hey, I gotta talk to you, Craigan. So he has jury duty in an hour. Craigan and Toots are kind of pissed that he didn't like mention it till now. And he's like, you have to do it. It's your fucking civic duty. The mayor can do it. Go. I'll fucking go with Toots. And then Toots is like, thanks, Munch. Now I gotta go with dad. It's like having an odd number of kids in the class and you have to get paired up with the teacher for an activity. Like, oh my God, this is gonna blow for me. But also, (laughs) I don't believe that Munch is going to jury duty. I believe that he's genuinely Bruno. He lives in the walls of the precinct. I've been, I can't stop thinking about this. So in the Facebook group, join our Facebook group, SVU Pod Elite Squad. Everybody's been talking about the SVU cast as Disney characters and there's all these different threads about it. And so obviously we started talking about Encanto and it hit me that fucking munches Bruno. And it's, I mean, it's nothing that's like a crazy thought. It's very obvious. He holds everything together. He takes care of everything behind the scenes. And they just have that expectation that everything's going to be fine. But he's sitting there piecing everything together, not sleeping. He is covered in rats. Um, (laughs) (laughs) All right, we're at the Fonzie house. Fonz is Edwin... Henry Winkler. Benson and Stabler are talking to the Fonz while he's picking up some of the stuff that was all over the floor. He is playing this husband, very doting. He's delicately mm-hmm. folding his wife's clothes and putting them in the drawer. If it wasn't Henry Winkler, we'd be like, wow, this husband, he's doing the most. But he really is. He's doing the most here. He's telling them about Jessica's first husband, Jerry Blaine. He was an investment banker and made Edwin a lot of money. So mm-hmm. they knew each other prior to her husband's death. Mm-hmm. And after this, when Edwin had moved out to Seattle, they had stayed in touch. He goes on to say that he couldn't make it to Jerry's funeral, so he made it a point to take Jessica out to dinner the next time he was in New York. The two had never met before, but he said at that dinner something happened between them. He had lost his wife three years prior, and Jessica knew what he was going through, so they super bonded over mutual loss and fell in love. They mm-hmm. married a year later at Jessica's place in Martha's Vineyard. He can't think of anybody that would want to hurt his wife because everyone loves her. Then all of a sudden he's kind of looking around and they're like, what's up, buddy? And he goes, well, her her watch is missing. I don't know if she was wearing it, blah, blah, blah. It isn't where it's supposed to be. It's a $35,000 Rolex. And they're like, mm-hmm. eyebrows? Yeah. So they... You know, here's the burglary. Here's the thing that was stolen. Right. At Katerina's apartment, Craig and Toots are there talking to her, and she is so Ukrainian. It's horrible what happened to Mrs. Blaine. She said she never got used to calling her by her new last name, which is Todd. She used to work for Jessica and her husband that had passed away. He drowned on the vacation in the Bahamas two years ago. Katerina thinks that it was too soon for Jessica to remarry the Fonz. Katerina used to live with Jessica and her deceased husband, Jerry, for five years. But then the Fonz came in and wanted her to move out because he wanted privacy. She moved in with her boyfriend, Andre Gorski, and they were like, oh, 
where was he last night? He's a limo driver. He worked until four in the morning. I was at my neighbor's waiting for him. Andre took my keys by mistake. I couldn't get in until he came home. And I was like, oh my God, her keys. Her fucking keys. Who's Andre? Andre Gorski. At the limo place, John Belushi's cousin is looking through paperwork to see when Andre worked last. He looked like John Belushi. Yeah, he had a samurai sword and was <laughs> flipping burgers back there. <laughs> Pepsi, Anybody? Coke, Coke. <laughs> he had cottage cheese to the brim in his mouth and then he all yeah. over Toots' leather duster. Okay. So it turns out Andre didn't work last night. Oh. He's out of the books. He's out here. Blah, blah, blah. Craig and Toots are like, we want to talk to him. Where is he? And the guy's like, oh, he's over there vacuuming out his car and fucking screams into the speaker. He's seven feet away from us, but I'm going to yell over the entire intercom speaker system through this microphone yeah. on my desk because I don't get to use it a lot. So, hey, Gorski, yep. you got visitors. Yeah. And then I was like, ooh, I smell a chase scene because it's just the way the whole thing happened. <laughs> Craig and Toots are literally like two feet away. They could like reach out and touch his nose and they flash their badges and the dude's like, Ugh. It like slowly puts down his vacuum cleaner and then tries to get into the front seat of the limo to escape. It was all very slow and dumb. Not only that, but there was like an open door and he had to kind of go around it and basically touch Toots to be like, I'm going to get my yeah. car. And Toots is like, what? <laughs> Toots breaks the fourth wall, full on looks at the camera. This guy, am I right? <laughs> All right, we're in an interrogation now. Craig and Atoots are giving Andre the heat. He totally denies breaking in anywhere or raping anyone. He was like, I was with my other girlfriend last night. He's like, I'll give you her fucking phone number to prove it. Only in a Russian accent. I can't. Uh, (laughs) I'll give you her phone number to prove it. (laughs) See, look at you. It doesn't have to be a good accent. (laughs) Seven months later. Seven months later. Craig, Craig is like, well, why the fuck do you try to run? And then Andre is kind of silent. And Craig steps up to him and he's like, let's see your fucking green card. Mm. He doesn't have one. He got into the country on a student visa and worked instead. And that was three years ago. Toots and Craig threatened to call INS to get him deported if he doesn't give them more information that they want to hear. And mm-hmm. I hated this. I hated that. I don't know. Yeah. I get it. Whatever. I'm just like. I mean, they're like, yeah. what can we use right now? But it's also, it's really shitty. Our whole process, all of it is really shitty. But, you know, let's get yeah. into it. He's like, hey, you guys, can Katarina told me that she heard Jessica and Edwin fighting the day before and is like, huh? You guys like that info? And they're like, okay, yeah, they did. Cracks beginning to show, Mr. Edwin Todd. At the restaurant site, Benson and Stabler ask the Fonz how he and his wife Jessica have been getting along lately. He says that their relationship is fine, but he's been so busy with all the restaurant stuff lately that he had told Jessica they would have more time for each other soon. And she understood. She understood. So they had been intimate the night before the attack. Benson wants him to take a DNA test and he says oh, is the husband like always the suspect? And Stabler says, well, it's just to eliminate your DNA from the suspects. The test is really for your protection. He's like, when and where? I'll be there. Then his phone rings and he answers it. It's the hospital. His wife is conscious. And he's like, oh my God, I, I, bye. Right when he answers the phone, Stabler turns to Benson and goes, it's nice to know I'm not the only one catching grief for working all the time. Him saying this tells us two things. He believes Edwin Todd and he really can't fucking help but make shit about himself. Remember? <laughs> Remember how Kathy's been in my asshole lately and I don't want to talk about it but I kind of want to talk about it but don't I don't want to talk about it God Vincent we're working you're being inappropriate 
So now we're at the hospital. Benson and Steve, I think they took a car together or something. <laughs> He's like, I'm sorry, you guys. I really have to go. I can't continue this conversation. They're like, cool, that's fine. We'll share a car. They fucking piggyback right on the back of him. <laughs> just bizarre. Benson and Steve are also there at, at Jessica's bedside. <laughs> Jessica can't talk, but the hospital gave her a dry erase board to be able to communicate. Like they should have done with that dude's sister in the Asian gang episode in season yeah. two. The dude in the Old Navy fashion fishing vest. Remember? The, we thought he had a neck tattoo of the barbed wire or something. We thought he had... Pam Anderson's arm tattooed on his neck. I should get a tattoo of her, her actual arm with an arm on it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so they thought enough to give Jessica a dry erase board. Yeah. Jessica doesn't remember Benson or Stabler from the night of the attack. They ask her what she remembers and she starts writing stuff down. She remembers putting on her robe and thinking that her husband, Edwin, was home because she heard keys go in the door. So this is where, I mean, I had been thinking up until this point, but I was like, wow, I always thought Henry Winkler was a good actor. I'm not mm. getting this. You know, it didn't make sense to me because it seemed like shitty acting where he's like, oh, well, look at that. She just said yeah. she heard the keys. Huh. I yeah. wonder. But as you watch the episode, spoiler, he's a piece of shit. Yeah. When he's like, well, I don't see how I was like, oh. There he is. He, on my second rewatch, I'm watching it going, oh my God, he's acting like a guy trying to act like he's helping. He like yeah. he's layering his acting. It is mm. fucking brilliant. At first I'm like, wow, I'm really disappointed in his acting skills. No, I'm not. Hot take. No, I'm not. <laughs> That's what. That's how hot, he did it. Hot take. Henry Winkler You're should fucking, have a career. Your head. You were like, I'm not. You did like a <laughs> swivel, like a snake swivel, like this. Just in everybody. I'm not. <laughs> you were so serious. It was weird. And then you took a fucking bite of your banana. Jesus. God. <laughs> Stop narrating what I'm doing. This is not a visual medium. I was I was disappointed. Guess what? I'm not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, now we're in the lab. You're such a fucking bitch. <laughs> <laughs> it's true I am. Oh my god. Uh, we're at the lab. We are. <laughs> We're at the lab. There's no way to tell if the lock was picked because the door locks automatically once it's closed. Or does it? Oh my God, stop. Okay, uh, okay now it's okay, not okay. funny anymore. Okay, it will be in like two weeks. Okay. A little lab lackey hands hot lab bomb squad guy a file. The DNA found on Jessica matches another rape burglary from two fucking weeks ago. We're getting somewhere. So now we're at the last victim's house, the one from two weeks ago, the Johansons. Mm -hmm. The victim's husband tells Benson Stabler that his wife, Denise, told the police everything already. Also, he's much, much older than her. Yes. And reminds me of, doesn't she, didn't she remind you of Patricia Arquette at first, like a young Patricia Arquette? No, because I saw Tom Girardi and Erica Girardi pre-Housewives. This is like pre-Scandal. I don't know what that, who is pre -Erica that? Pre-Erica Jane. She is a real housewife of Beverly Hills. He's a much older man, classy lawyer guy. Okay. There's a huge scandal happening right now with them, but it's very similar to that. The fuck is Erica Jane? 
Okay. Stabler's apologizing for having to make Denise go through this again, but they think the attacks are related and need any information they can get. So Denise says her husband Curtis was out of town overnight. She heard a noise and looked up and saw a man standing in the doorway and she's getting upset. He had a stocking over his head and was wearing regular clothes, maybe jeans and gloves. When she started to scream, he held a gun to her head and he told her to stop. She said there was no emotion in his voice and he just told her to take her clothes off. She's getting very upset and she starts to cry. Mm -hmm. She was wearing a $100,000 diamond bracelet and it was stolen the husband had given it to her for their six-month anniversary and Mm -hmm. that in itself told us a lot this guy's loaded she's young and beautiful he's much older taylor's oldest time (laughs) her husband was holding her hand and it was like three inches from her face the entire time oh my god so mary posted that in the facebook group oh yeah (laughs) i'll post it when i do the whole She never heard the person come in, and if the door is open for more than 30 seconds, the alarm chirps. They just got a new alarm system because of the break-ins that were going on. She had lost her keys, and they didn't want to take any chances, which is why they changed everything. It's really interesting because all these people had new security systems and locks placed. Stabler wants to know who the locksmith was. Curtis says, Parks Safe and Security in Manhattan. At Parks Safe and Security, a dude is telling Toots and Cragen that he checked the computer, and they did both jobs. As in, they did Fonzie's house and... And the Johansson's house. Mm -hmm. The company used the same dude, same locksmith. Yeah, Danny Ryan. He's one of my best. What's this all about? Of course he's one of your best. They always are. They're always one of your best. They always are. (laughs) He's one of the best. Been with me for 10 years. My top guys. <laughs> Has it been that guy yet? Whenever they're like, he's one of the best. It's never that guy. No. Craigan's going on to ask this guy, who's the owner, by the way, if all of their employees are bonded. Yeah, we do background checks, fingerprints. The whole works, everything. Ryan's out on a job and he tells them where they can find him. On the job, Toots and Cragen find Danny Ryan. Very handsome, by the way. Traditionally attractive, which it's a. this is another one of those dudes that Gabe got a boner for, but it's the traditional type of attractive, but not the type I see for you. I don't know. It's interesting. I'm not like, I got to start a relationship with that guy. <laughs> I'm not saying you do. I just say I'm, I'm not. It's like I, I just wasn't gushing over this guy being hot because it's just mm-hmm. not my ty- type, I guess. Yeah. Not that he's not. He is. He's a, a, like traditionally very attractive. I can Dude, he's got dark hair, light eyes. I could see him with a nice beard. Oh, no. He know? does not have dark enough hair to consider him dark haired. Maybe I. It's like Sandy almost. Not oh, quite blonde, remember. but not a, not a deep enough brunette for me. Okay. 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 <laughs> he's going to law school, so he's a locksmith by day and a student by night. And he is hot. <laughs> my, my note. In my note. <laughs> he's always hot. And he's always at the library on Mondays, which is when the crimes happened. He says that the front desk lady at the library who checks his ID would be able to prove that he was there. Toots asks him where he was two weeks ago. And this guy breaks all of the SVU rules and goes, are you kidding me? I can't even remember what I had for breakfast this morning. I know. Yeah. And we're like, yes, because you're like a normal person. They stop filming and they're like, listen, okay, keep rolling. Everyone remembers where they were every second of their life. Okay. And he's like, (laughs) okay, action. So they press him and he tells them anybody would be crazy to go back and rob the place. His company does background checks, credit reports, everything. They're extremely thorough. Which I love. Which is fantastic and necessary. He says that he put the locks in on those two houses because he all of a sudden remembers because he was told to, but he never went back to either of them. (laughs) And I believe his hot ass with that 90210 hair and shit. (laughs) 
In the squad room, Stabler tells Cragen that the Fonz's DNA does not match what they had found on either victim. As far as Ryan goes, there's no rap sheet, not even a speeding ticket. The phone's ringing off the hook and Benson answers it. Well, well, well. Hmm. The library security doesn't remember Ryan checking in on Monday. And Stabler finds out that Ryan's prints were found at both crime scenes and not only on the front door, but in the kitchen and on the bedroom door handles. Mm-hmm. Cragen and Toots are going to go pick him up. We're interrogation room now. Ryan is saying that he doesn't wear rubber gloves when he's changing locks. But why the fuck was he touching any of those doors? He was just doing locks, right? Like, what, what is his fingerprints doing there? So, his fingerprints were found on the bedroom doors of the Johansson house, and he says it's because the wife asked him to check the locks in the bedroom because it was sticking and he fixed it for her. Stabler stops and he's like, come on. <laughs> Gabe's right. You're a good looking guy. <laughs> <laughs> You got these women alone in their houses. They come on to you all the time, right? Ryan says he's not into that shit. He's like, I mean, yeah, but like, I'm not into it, you know? Yeah. In the Fonz's house, he said the wife wasn't even there, just the husband. And he got a glass of water in the kitchen. The dude swears he didn't rape or beat anyone or steal anything. And he's he's like, I'm trying to become a lawyer. Why would I ruin my life? Which is the question of a person who thinks there is a logical why to rape Mm -hmm. and assault. Yeah. As soon as he said that, I was like, either this guy's great at lying or it doesn't even compute to him. On the other side of the glass in Craigan's blanket fort. Did I say blanket <laughs> fort yet? I don't know. But I don't think it so. Adorable little. I said it's tree so fort. It's so cute. Oh, you did. You said tree fort. No, now they're in. He's got now a little in his like, blanket fort. Yeah, it's got a little radio with an antenna. And it's red. Oh my god, Cabot's like, in there, and they both have flashlights. <laughs> they're like, <laughs> neither of them can see their attackers. <laughs> The flashlight underneath their chin. Yeah. Craig and twiddles his little feet and he's like, oh, you're scaring me. Yeah. She tells Craig to cancel the victim lineup. She has like a little sly smile this whole time, too. This is after the episode where she flips, right? Yeah. So they're trying to be like, everything's cool now. Neither of them saw their attacker's faces. Craig is worried that because Jessica barely survived, that his next victim won't make it. Cabot says that the fingerprints will be enough to get a warrant for Ryan's place. And for his DNA. Yeah. Benson and Stabler are at Ryan's place. They leave his apartment without finding the watch or the bracelet. They didn't find a mask, any keys, and Ryan doesn't even have a car. So Stabler's wondering where else Ryan could be hiding his stash. Now we're at the locksmith place again. The boss really doesn't think that Ryan would do anything. You got the wrong guy! Yeah. He's one of my best! (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) He's gonna be a lawyer! I'm gonna hate to see him go! He shows Benson and Stabler the van that Ryan always drives. But Ryan's not the only one that drives this particular van. He does 8 to 4, and then another dude does from 4 p.m. to midnight, and then another does the graveyard shift. Mm-hmm. They need this guy to sign an affidavit to search the van. He's like, whatever, I don't care. The music swells. Oh, mm-hmm. they're finding shit. They yep. are finding shit. Yep. Ooh, the music tells us. They're all over the van and they see Ryan's toolbox. Stabler's digging in there and he's like, pantyhose. And Benson goes, that's not something you install a lock with. And Stabler's like, neither are these. And there's an intense zoom in on Stabe's fucking isotoners, palm and some costume <laughs> jewelry. <clears throat> Bracelet, Rolex, shit. <laughs> I don't know why I was so intense taking these notes. We're in court. Ryan and his uh, Charlize Theron lookalike from Devil's Advocate go into court. She did, right? Um, Yeah, we've seen her before. She has played this lawyer before. It's attorney Valerie Emerson. Cool. With her fucking Felicity hair. 
when she chopped it. Remember mm-hmm. everybody was pissed? And then nobody watched yeah. the show anymore because she got her fucking hair. Oh my God, I hate Don't everything. Even. I forgot about that. <laughs> anyway, so this woman, they go into the courthouse. She's the lawyer. Charlie's there and Felicity, whatever. She's she's the lawyer. Ryan's being charged with two counts of rape in the first degree, one count attempted murder in the second, and grand larceny. Ryan pleads not guilty because he's believes in the system. You know how they say that shit? Like, if you don't lie, you're going to be fine. Okay. Right. Cabot wants remand without bail because of the nature of the crimes, especially considered Jessica can't walk and is paralyzed. Ryan's lawyer is like, what? And even the judge are like, chill. This isn't like a trial or whatever. Ryan's lawyer says that he has no criminal history and he's on a flight risk. The judge agrees with Cabot, but it's his first offense. Also, this fucking judge, though, like... Is it me or do most older portly white guys translate into cartoon moles? Yeah. I almost said turtle and I was like, nope, it's not a turtle. What is it? And you're right. It's a mole. Bitch. (laughs) What? Just every time that I have a wave of love and adoration for you. I just (laughs) love that feeling. Because at first I thought I went back and I looked at him a bunch of times. I'm like, I can't say mole again. I can't say mole again. It is just they all look like fucking moles, especially when then when they wear the judge's robe because their entire body is shaped like a rounded edge triangle. (laughs) But I also was like, well, he's pretty turtle-ish. And I'm like, but he's not quite turtle-ish. Yes. It's as if they got into a lab with a Russian box turtle and a fucking cartoon mole and bred them together that's this guy and then you said turtle just now (laughs) you were right though he is a mole you're right he is yeah he is he has little glasses on because moles don't see very well and i pictured him having like little claw hands yeah he's like case dismissed and then digs a hole into the desk yeah, but he puts a little spelunker's fucking flashlight on his forehead because for some reason cartoon moles wear those. <laughs> no, they, they can't see anyway. Yeah. What are we doing? Oh, it's so cute. Oh, <laughs> I want to feed this guy some baby carrots or something. Okay, this judge, Judge Mole Turtle, <laughs> Judge Termo, <laughs> judge, judge Mole S Turtle the Fourth. <laughs> He says the bail is set at 500000 cash. Ryan is super worried. He's like, I can barely make my tuition. And his lawyer says, don't worry, I'll have you out by tomorrow. And then Cabot gets all fucking sassy. She didn't need to say this, but she's like, um, that's pretty optimistic. <laughs> Fuck, Cabot, get out of here. Like, what are you doing? Why are you being... That was just like a little... I feel like being a little bitch. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and then Ryan's lawyer's like... Your detectives blew the search because they had permission from the wrong person and then hands her this fucking thingy. Some sort of order, some sort of yeah. piece of paper that Cabot's like, what? Yeah. It's, so they're a, brochure. Ju- it's a brochure for fucking <laughs> family land in the Dells. I was going to say Noah's Ark in the Dells. <laughs> Ripley's Believe It or Not. Ride the turtles. <laughs> Ride the ducks. <laughs> All right, we're in this, oh the judge's chambers, like a different judge, okay? Okay, yes, this is Judge Petrovsky. It really bothered me the last time we talked about her that we were both like, what's her name? Because she deserves our fucking respect. She does. She's always awesome. She's a bad bitch, and we're like, ah, she's around a long time, and I forget her name. Judge Lena Petrovsky, played by Johanna Merlin. It's a good last name. She was in Mystic Pizza. The lawyers are arguing about the right to open a toolbox or a desk that belongs to an employee of a company. Just because the owner of the business 
this gives them permission to search something, it doesn't mean that they can open employees' personal stuff. Mm. So they're like, in the car, in the toolbox, Felicity is arguing that you can't do that. Cabot's arguing that a vehicle is different because putting something in someone else's car doesn't mean that it can't be searched. And then she quotes People versus Keegan. There was no lock on the toolbox, therefore no precaution to safeguard it was taken. There is no expectation of privacy there. At first, the judge agrees with Cabot, okay? Mm-hmm. At first, she agrees with her and goes, a $5 lock could have saved this. But mm-hmm. the judge wasn't given a search warrant to scrutinize. And Judge Pastrovsky mm-hmm. isn't going to give any wiggle room for Cabot after that shit she pulled with the illegal search a couple episodes ago. And we mm-hmm. see it here. The judge decides that she wants to err on the side of caution. And the evidence inside the toolbox is not admissible in court. Yeah. And that's all they have. What? Yeah. What are they going to do? Well, yeah. we'll tell you. Cabot's in Cragen's office. She's fucking pissed that nobody called her. But before a fight breaks out, Cragen tells them they got screwed by legal maneuvering. Saves it. After that fucking shit with them all fighting, like, I think they're kind of settling into how they are going to be going back and forth. Because Cabot's like, you should have called me. I would have gotten the warrant because they just got the permission straight from the boss, which they thought was fine, which was fine. Benson yeah. makes a good point. She goes, would you have said no? We literally got permission from this boss. He signed an Would affidavit. You, it just didn't seem necessary to anybody. Yeah. And Cabot's kind of like, ugh. But she's speaking yeah. in hindsight, so she's crabby. And yeah. Craigan's like, we all got fucked over here. Right, yeah. And Cabot says that they still have Ryan's DNA, which is huge, right? Mm-hmm. Stabler isn't buying any of this. He thinks none of this makes sense. Like, why would Ryan put $135,000 worth of stolen goods in a toolbox that wasn't locked that multiple people had access to? Yes. And those vans are running 24-7. Right, with multiple people in and out of them. Yeah, yeah. Just then, Toots walks in and says because the DNA didn't belong to Ryan. It's not his DNA either. Someone went to a lot of trouble to set up fucking Ryan. And then here I am, I was like, oh my God, it's the Fonz. Duh, he's the famous one. Right? I like for, I like forgot for a while. That's how good this, this show is. It gets you every time. Yeah. Every fucking time. Oh, you guys. So Cragen suggests that whoever was framing Ryan got prints on Ryan's toolbox. Cragen wants Cabot to release Ryan and wants the damn toolbox in the lab ASAP. Cabot cracks a joke and says, be sure to get Ryan's permission this time. <laughs> and has a little smile. Yeah, she is mean girling everybody. Yeah, she's a little like, I'm, I'm alive. I'm living for it kind of. Yeah. I like it. Go ahead. Fuck them. Fuck all of them. <laughs> she's t- is twirling her hair in her finger and she's like, I mean, whatever, just like do better. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, now we're in Ryan's cell. He's fucking pissed and yelling at Toots and Craigan. Craigan and Toots tell him that they're going to have him out within the hour. Toots tells him that somebody set him up and they're trying to figure out who it is. They want to know who has a problem with him. Ryan says he keeps to himself mostly and he doesn't know anybody that would want to give him shit. He gives them permission to the toolbox to figure out who the fuck set him up. Lab. Hot lab bomb squad guy. <laughs> Says to Benson and Staler that they found dozens of prints inside and out of the toolbox. All the other prints match everyone that works for the company and is bonded. Lab guy found a partial on one of the diamonds on Denise's bracelet. Benson's like, how the frig did you get that off a diamond? And he's like, well, it's only a six point, but... <laughs> And those diamonds, remember, are 
Big ass two carat rocks. In the squad room, the Fonz's fucking prints are on that bracelet. How do they even fucking know each other? Stabler thinks that the Fonz hired somebody to rape Denise and his own wife. Denise doesn't have a scratch on her, so they're thinking that she and the Fonz are working together. So that means that Denise is in on everything. They set up the locksmith dude, Ryan, to take the fall. The hot, hot, sexy, hot locksmith that Gabe wants to bang. Denise is in her 30s and her husband is 67. The whole gang is thinking that Denise figured she could get richer quicker by marrying the Fonz instead of sitting around and waiting for the other dude to die. So. They go to pick up the Fonz to test him. In the hospital, the Fonz is shocked to hear it's not Ryan, the locksmith. Benson tells the Fonz that Ryan's DNA wasn't a match. Stabler asks the Fonz if he remembers touching Ryan's toolbox. Jessica, the Fonz's wife, is coughing and talking a little, and he's kind of like taking care of her. He says that Ryan took a bathroom break and he borrowed a screwdriver to tighten a screw on a kitchen cabinet, but he doesn't remember Ryan being in any other part of the house. Jessica is like, why are you asking these questions? The Fonz is like, they have to, honey. It's their job. He apologizes to Benson and Stabler because him and Jessica had a rough morning at rehab. Stabler apologizes for taking up their time and him and Benson leave. Benson and Stabler are doing a walk and talk. Stabler thinks that the Fonz got a little spooked about them mentioning the toolbox because he had an answer like right away, I guess, or his face. I don't know what it was, but. Well, right. He goes, did you see him blink when I asked about the toolbox? I saw him blink like 50 times. I mean, that's what people do, I guess, you know. (laughs) Stapes was like, did you see him blink? And Benny was like, enough to know that he was spooked about you asking about the toolbox. And mm-hmm. he admitted to touching it. Because nobody before this point had mentioned anything about the locksmith going to the restroom. You know? Yeah. They had done a couple laps with Ryan the locksmith. And he was like, I was in the kitchen. I got a drink of water. The husband was there. Da da da. He didn't say anything about going to the bathroom. Fucking the Fonz never said anything about him going to the bathroom. And now all of a sudden they found a fingerprint. And he's like, oh yeah, I totally touched his toolbox when uh, he he went to the bathroom. Yeah. So they're like, yeah, he's full of shit and he's just trying to get his hands on his wife's money. So what do they got to do? Follow the money. Follow the money. (laughs) (laughs) Now we're at Blaine Holland Investments. Some dude is telling Benson and Stabler that Jerry Blaine, a.k.a. the Fonz's wife's Jessica's deceased husband who drowned in the Bahamas. Yes. His estate was worth like 10 million and he left every cent to Jessica. He loved her. Yeah. And they loved each other. The sunset. Anywho. (laughs) Anyway, he's dead. Jessica's old. (laughs) She's like 39. And the funds, his whole life's unraveling. Okay, so with the market being shit, it's 2002, after 9-11 or whatever, she has around two and a half million left. They just sold a bunch of stock for her, but this guy had tried to talk her out of it, especially when she wanted to invest in her new husband's restaurant. Mm -hmm. He starts telling them about how they know the Fonz and how he came to their company about two years ago looking to sell some restaurant shit. The guy is super confused that now he would want to get back into the restaurant business in New York City. After 9-11, everything's gone to shit. He's like, Mm -hmm. you'd have to have Emeril himself running the place to break even. That Mm -hmm. was peak Emeril Lagasse, by the way. Yeah. Bam! So this guy doesn't understand why at the Fonz's age, he's even trying to open another restaurant. He should be playing golf because he has a ton of money and just like enjoy his retirement, you know? Benson and Stabler are kind of like, huh, 
is fucking weird. <laughs> when it's not really because, you know what I mean? Like dudes will have plenty of money, but it's never enough. Then they just continue to work and they work until they die. Mm-hmm. Or they just genuinely enjoy I working. I shouldn't say dudes. I should just say yeah. driven people. Or they enjoy working or like that's what makes you continue to feel alive. You yeah. know, that's what gives you a sense of value. So yeah, so Benson and Stabler are like, Mm-mm-mm, tricky, tricky. We got to look deeper into this. Mm-hmm. Benson and Stabler bust into Daddy Cragen's office and they're like, hey, what's up? We just talked to the real Edwin Todd. We've been calling him the Fonz. Uh, okay. The real Edwin Todd is not the Fonz. He's a dude that is retired on an island off the coast of Seattle on a beach. He's got millions and millions of dollars. He hasn't been in New York City since the fucking 80s and he's not married to Jessica. The Fonz is a fraud. Mm-hmm. And he's lying. Oh, my God. Yep. Now we're in the squad room. Cragen says he talked to CSU and someone slimmed Jim the side of Ryan's van and they're checking for prints now. Toots tells Cragen that they ran the prints for the fake Fonz and there was no hit. Snap into a Slim Jim. I was going to not I know. do it. I know. I know. <laughs> I got it. I know. Macho Man Randy Savage. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Stabler says that the, this dude has two bank accounts. One is personal and one is to culinary equities. Which is his company. Mm-hmm. With a combined balance of 148 grand and some change. It's not enough money to open really anything. But Benson said that the dude had a bunch more money earlier and paid off first and last month's rent at about 40K and also wrote checks for 160K to vendors. Problem is, they've been trying to call all these vendors and they can't find a single one. Smoke and mirrors. Mm-hmm. Jessica had deposited her two and a half millions from the stock shit two weeks ago and then put 200K in the culinary equities account. Cragen wants to know if there is any solid connection between the, the funds and Denise Johansson, the other woman that was r- supposedly raped, okay? Mm-hmm. We should remind everybody that it's like, what, 2% of rapes are fake? Under 2% or of under, reported rapes yeah. are proven to be unsubstantiated. Right. So the fact that this is used as a plot line yeah. regularly enough where we mention that a lot is like, this is very fictional. Yeah. Craigan wants to know if there's any solid connection between the funds and Denise Johansson. There's not much. Okay, so it looks like, based on the phone records from the Fonz's place, that he made a bunch of phone calls to an apartment in the village. This same apartment was called regularly from a payphone down the street from where the Johansons live. Okay. Interesting. Craigan says that he and Toots are going to check out this apartment in the village, and Benny and Stabes need to pay Jessica a little visit. Craigan mm-hmm. says she needs a reality check. Right. Cut to Oceanside Rehab Center. Benson and Stabler are talking to Jessica. She's in a wheelchair and squeezing this ball thing. She's obviously doing stuff to try to get feeling back, okay? Yeah, like physical therapy stuff. She says that her husband has been really great and spending most of his time with her and she doesn't know how he's going to open his restaurant on time. Benson and Stabler ask her how much she's given him already and she says 200k but she's giving more next week. And then she's like, what are you guys getting at? They tell her that they believe her husband is stealing her money and that the 200k she gave him is gone to fake vendors. She doesn't believe him, of course. But two weeks ago, she'd signed her will saying that he is the sole beneficiary of her entire state if she dies. She argues that it wasn't his idea. It was was her idea. And I'm like, Duh, a con artist is good at that. Yeah. She's starting to get upset. And she's like, he's been waiting on me hand and foot. She doesn't believe it. She's not going to yet. 
she won't. This is where I start to be like, why is she talking like this? At first I was like, oh, it's because of her stroke and whatever. Mm-hmm. But she's like, I don't believe you. As I'm watching it to myself out loud, I'm going, I don't believe you, detectives. Yeah, I swear they're like adding more wrinkles to her face every time you see her. Her voice gets more grandma She weird. has some sort of rapid aging uh, genetic mutation in her body that happened when this occurred clearly yeah putting everything in his name wasn't his idea detectives it was (laughs) mine he's been waiting on me and then foot (laughs) on the street craig and toots are talking to this fucking guy who's just funny that's all i can say he looks like uncle frank from home alone (laughs) i don't know i don't remember oh (laughs) i'm joking i'm like for the last time i don't know who the fuck that is (laughs) I think I'm funny. That's like me being like, is John's dick big? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So um, they show him a picture of the Fonz and Denise. He says he recognizes them as Mr. and Mrs. Brown. He tells them he hasn't seen them around much, but they keep weird hours because they're salespeople. (laughs) Craigan's like, calling us first fucking search team. We're getting a warrant from Cabot for this apartment. (laughs) All right, they're in the apartment. They're not fucking finding anything except for some women's thongs in the bedsheet that Toots just had to say. Hey, Aussies, uh, that's American for thongs, meaning wedgie undies, not flip-flops. Oh, yep. Even though you guys probably knew that because you're smarter than us. but And yeah. that is a um, stereotype that I have decided is true. Australians are smarter than Americans. Thongs. Craigan lifts up some, some sofa cushions and finds a boarding pass. For Edwin Todd to Winnipeg. Just how they find these things, you know. So this boarding pass is for right before his wife was attacked. Now, listen, okay. I have never, every time they go and search a place, it takes them two seconds to, maybe because they're professionals. I don't know. But he finds this thing and he immediately knows that it means something. When Mm -hmm. there's nothing else under that couch cushion, there's not like fucking Smarties and quarters and Cheetos (laughs) crushed up. It's just this square of paper. He's like, here's a thing. We got to call Canada. This guy's going to fucking Winnipeg? What's he up to up there? On the street, Benson, Stabler, Craigan, and Toots are hanging around. It almost looks like they went to eat and then were leaving the restaurant and stopped to have a chat. It's like, well, I'm parked over there. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. we don't want to be outside because it's Christmas. It's cold. (laughs) (laughs) Stabler says that the Fonz took three trips to Winnipeg like in the two weeks before his wife was attacked. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty crazy, actually. It's a lot of That's a lot of trips to Winnipeg. Yeah. Craigan wants the lab to send all the prints they found to Canada and see if any of them are the Fonz and if he has a record in Canada. Okay. They still have the issue with the DNA. It's not the Fonz's or Ryan's. Benson doesn't know how Denise Johansson got the DNA to fake her rape. And then she stops and she's like, oh my God, by having sex with her husband Curtis and planting some of his DNA on Jessica. Because the DNA wouldn't come up in the system since Curtis had no record and he was already alibied so they're not even going to check it. Yeah. Now we're at the Johansson house. Benson and Stabler are talking to Curtis. He's like getting off a treadmill or something. He's in like workout clothes. He's not super into giving them his DNA. They tell him he's not a suspect and that he might actually be a victim. He and his wife had sex right before he left on his business trip which was the day that she was attacked an important note she initiated it she's like hey why don't you come home before you trip i got a little sexy surprise for you yeah and he's like we fuck a lot though so it was fine <laughs> no he said it classily he said it like sex isn't lacking in our relationship but i'm trash so and then later he was like we made love i'm like oh yeah gross 
They tell Curtis that they think that Denise faked the rape. He doesn't understand why his wife would do this. They tell him they think she did this to cover up a crime by taking his DNA and implanting it on another victim. After almost beating this victim to death, Jessica, Mm -hmm. Curtis just like doesn't believe this. He wants proof. And they're like, well, your DNA will be the proof, actually. They tell him that she knew that they wouldn't suspect Curtis because he was out of town. So that's why she used his DNA. They tell him that his wife is shacked up with this Fonz guy. He knows who he is already. He spent like a quarter of a million dollars on his restaurant stuff. His wife's idea. You can start seeing like the cogs turning, you know? Right. He says, he, he's like, I don't get into business stuff like half cock. I met his investors. I've seen the location. I've seen the business plan. I've even met his wife, Jessica. And Stabler tells him that she's the other rape victim. And his face is like, <gasps> I wonder how that felt with them telling him that. If they were like, bitch. Right. <laughs> Girl, sit down. We're in the squad room. Labs are back. The DNA is in fact Curtis Johansson's. Craigan wants him to pick the Fonz and Denise up. Cabot doesn't think they have enough evidence, though, with only a six-point fingerprint match. That doesn't hold up in court. But Toots comes around the corner and says, this should. Shit came back from Canada. The Fonz's real name is Edward Crandall from Toronto. He did three years in prison for fraud. Of course. Yep. Denise Johansson's real name is Denise Cormier. She's from Quebec. She was arrested with the Fonz and did time as well. So Curtis Johansson is totally on board with cooperating, but Jessica just doesn't believe it. They need to go and change her fucking mind. Now we're in the interview room. Benson and Stabler have Jessica in there. This is when I really started noticing her fucking aging thing. First of all, in the beginning, they said this lady was like in her mid to late 40s, but they keep making her look like she's a grandma, like the glasses she has on with the beaded chain thing. Yeah. What are you doing? Did you notice that (laughs) Curtis Johansson is literally much, much older than this Jessica woman, but they have portrayed him like in nice clothes or working out on a treadmill, like he's still like a virile, important person, but a woman, God forbid, age even slightly, and they just put her in big sweater and like grandma fucking mother goose fucking glasses or whatever <laughs> yeah. like what is this shit tasha the 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 uh it's the patriarchy okay yeah like um, how come how come this guy can be older and virile and it's not know? even just that i know the argument is like well she's in a wheelchair because she was almost killed and she had a stroke and whatever i knew a lady in her 30s when i was in my 20s who had a stroke and it didn't make her look 75 yeah but they're like they even did her hair like a hip older lady hair instead of just giving her a blonde bob like the other bitch i swear they put like gray streaks in it too it's like and it's not even just that they did everything in their power for her to look aged which is bizarre because she wasn't that fucking old yeah it was super weird and johansson's literally like skin hanging off of his bones old i mean not really but like he's much older than her and he's like he's got like longer hair that he's got slicked back and yeah he's dabbing off the sweat because he's like hey um i know that i needed to talk to you detectives but i gotta get my fucking heart rate up to 145 every day i gotta i gotta get there gotta stay young gotta keep up with my wife we fuck a lot did i say that (laughs) that we fuck a lot it's like of course they want to kill the old lady she's not worth anything anymore meanwhile she's got a blanket over her knees like (laughs) knitting while they're talking they're like where did you get that yarn and she's like don't mind me kids do you want to hear about the warp tour (laughs) And they're like, honey, do you need any fucking tennis balls for your walker? Like, (laughs) 
It was bananas. I was like, what? Because they did a close-up of her face with the glasses on. And I was like, why are they doing this? Like, what is happening? Why are they making her look so old? <laughs> yeah. Okay, Stabler shows a mugshot of the Fonz and says who he really is. She doesn't believe it, of course. No, I don't believe you. They show her a picture of Denise and says that that's the Fonz's partner. And they believe that she's the one who attacked her. Jessica wants to go back to the hospital and doesn't want to fucking talk about this anymore. Stabler wants her to look at some more pictures first. It's the pictures of their apartment in the village. The Fonz and Denise it is. They mm-hmm. tell her that he shares an apartment with this woman. Both of their prints were found in there. Jessica breaks down. This whole time, she's like thinking that they're trying to trick her. The police are trying to trick her. The Fonz really fucked her up. She thought that he was so good for her. He said all the right things, said how beautiful she was and that how he could never replace her husband Jerry that drowned in the Bahamas. I just can't get over that. <laughs> <laughs> and that she loved him and trusted him. Benson tells her that if she helps them, they will make that fucker pay. She's like, I can't help you. Last night, the Fonz confessed everything to her and asked for her forgiveness, and she gave it to him. And I was like, what the fuck? He told her that he admitted to having an affair with Denise, but that it was over, and Denise beat her up out of jealousy. And I'm like, oh my god. (sighs) Ugh. Stabler leans in and says, look, this isn't about love or jealousy. This is about stealing your money. These people are in on it together. The Fonz's lawyer called her in the morning and said that she couldn't testify against him because he's her husband. Mm. She's crying again and she's like, oh my god, I feel so fucking stupid. I'm going to drink this and sure take 45 minutes in the restroom and I need you to take me back home. I'm tired. (laughs) It's so cold. It's 90 degrees. I'm freezing. My bones, my withered old hollow bones can't take it. My 45 year old bird bones. In Cabot's office, they're talking about this too. So Curtis Johansson got the same phone call from a lawyer after Denise confessed to him. They cover their asses by being married to the victims. It's so fucked up. Yeah. So they're like, oh my God, well, let's just take the DNA in. And Cabot's like, dude, we can't because a jury will then think that Curtis Johansson raped Denise and Jessica because juries are stupid. Because it's me there. It's me there. It's me and fucking 11 other people. How many are on a jury? 12, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Benson doesn't understand how Jessica and Curtis Johansson can't testify against the Fonz and Denise because they have battered wives to testify against what their husbands did all the time. Cabot's like, oh my God, you guys are fucking stupid and I have to explain everything to you. It's different because they would be testifying about what they said, not what they did. Spouses can't reveal confidential communication between themselves. Cabot checked the case law and there has never been a situation like this. So there's no loophole. And then all of a fucking sudden, (laughs) a little gust of wind blows in and lifts up this piece of paper and Cabot's like what what in the in the middle of saying there's no loophole she's like oh found one (laughs) it was like fucking stupid she does a quadruple take to this little fucking spiral notebook she's got open and she's like actually here's the answer to all of this I spent days just rifling through case law good thing I brought it up sitting here in front of this piece of paper that flopped open and Slutted down in front of me. The ghost of Christmas, I want you to know this information, came before me. (laughs) And was like... Anyway, so it's their marriage licenses and they have false names on them. Cabot's like, go fucking pick these guys up. You can't put a false name on a marriage license. What is this? What is this? The Bahamas? Also, you all look ugly today. I'm being a bitch (laughs) this time. (laughs) Yes. 
In the interrogation room, the Fonz and his lawyer have a little laugh when Benson walks in with the file. The Fonz's walrus lawyer is like, oh, are you kidding me with this? Are you kidding me? Through his mustache. Are you kidding me? <laughs> and she says, don't worry. We have better ones on the way. Then the Fonz says with a big smile, I don't see how. This is where you see. This is where you see the veil of concerned husband come off and you're like, ooh. And then the true fucking evil piece of shit comes out and we're he's like like relaxed he's like relaxed laid back incredible and like, henry a, fucking winkler not a furrowed you, brow to be seen so good he's a real butt what a little shithole <laughs> stabler's in a different room with denise and her lawyer nick birch from big mouth <gasps> right yeah <laughs> Yeah, they're yeah. going back and forth between the rooms. Okay, since they lied about their names, their marriage licenses to Jessica and Curtis are void. And Benson starts to read him his rights. She was feeling so good about this, mm-hmm. and the lawyer's like, <laughs> "Legal name change from before they were married." Okay, they both legally change their names to the bullshit names that are on the marriage licenses. Uh-huh. It like zooms in on the Fonz, and he's looking at Benny like, "Checkmate, motherfucker." Did he say checkmate? No. Okay. His face did. Okay. Now we're in the squad room. Kraken's like, where are we at, guys? Because shit's all fucked up, all right? Toots found mm-hmm. the money, okay? It's in five different accounts in a Canadian bank under the names of the fake vendors. He waited for the checks to clear, then made cash withdrawals, leaving each account with just $1,000 in it. Every one of these accounts has his name attached to it. Fucking mm-hmm. the font. Yeah. So he gets the money out of the country, then converts it to cash so they can't trace it anymore because he's a fucking genius these criminals are fucking the best at crime they're doing really great at crime yeah so craigan has protective detail on jessica just to make sure and also on the Fonz and denise to make sure that they don't fucking try to run back to canada oh toots finds a credit card receipt in acapulco for a year and a half ago why were denise and the Fonz staying in a honeymoon suite at the hotel <gasps> now we're in this room benson stabler and cabot have denise and the Fonz and their lawyers in the room and tell them that the honeymoon is over and she slides over their mexican marriage licenses denise gets upset and she looks at the fucking Fonz and says i told you we should have gotten divorced the Fonz says shut up you stupid bitch <laughs> shut up you stupid bitch <laughs> This is the last time I'm going to take care of you. And Denise darts her eyes around and was like, it was all his idea. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And the Fonz says, they can't prove any of it if you keep your trap shut. The lawyers are like a little wide-eyed and like looking at each other because they didn't know that they were actually married to each other. The marriages to Jessica and Curtis are fucking void. The Fonz is like, Jessica won't testify against me. She needs me. Then Jessica gets wheeled in the room and she's 97 years old <laughs> and she's holding the she's, jewel from the Titanic. <laughs> Were you really? The old lady from the deck. Oh, I love you. I love you. <laughs> I was gonna say she's sitting on the edge of the ship and she's holding the blue heart of the ocean jewel because she's the old lady from Titanic. Oh. I couldn't remember the name of it, so I just said jewel from Titanic. Oh, we're fucking best friends forever. I, we're, that's forever, so crazy. Forever. Mm. Remember that groundhog thing? We are so cool. <laughs> um. So they roll her in. Yep. And the Fonz gets up and he's like, hi, sweetie. <laughs> and he's oh, like, so creepy at this point. Yeah. He's like, yo, you just, you know, you're ill. You just need a little rest. Jessica says, sit down, you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
And then he's like, oh my God. And so he starts saying the whole thing was a mistake. He's like, yes, I stole money from you. Yes, I had an affair, but you weren't supposed to get hurt. She was just supposed to take the watch. And then the Fonz kneels down and says, we just need to get away. Just me and you, anywhere you want to go. And she says... The only place you're going is to hell. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) And that was it. And my closed captioning is on and it's like, Toyota, get the feeling. I know. I, did I send you? I sent you that video, right? Did you? Oh, yeah, that's I, right. You did. That's Because it's always like, get the feeling. Yeah, she's like, the only place you're going is hell. Toyota, get the feeling. Oh, it was good. Yeah. It was good. I love the ones that don't have kids in them. Yeah, you're not going to like the next episode. And I like the con artisty ones. Yeah. I saw somewhere that this episode is based on Raymond Fernandez and Martha Beck, a.k.a. the Lonely Hearts Killers, a.k.a. the Honeymoon Killers. Okay. Does it mean anything? I don't know, but let's learn about them. Raymond Fernandez was born on December 17th, 1914 in Hawaii. He spent his childhood in Connecticut, then as a teenager moved to Spain to work on his uncle's farm. There, he met Encarnacion Robles and married her when he was 20. They went on to have four kids together. Damn. After serving as a merchant marine and British intelligence in World War II, Raymond planned to take a ship to the U.S. to find work. Up until this point, he's this like go getter young guy traveling the world and Mm -hmm. for all we know good stand-up dude on the ship a steel hatch fell on his head (gasps) and when he arrived to the u.s he ended up in the hospital with a fractured skull and damage to his frontal lobe Mm, there we go according to queensland health i have no idea why googling frontal lobe took me to an aussie site but (laughs) maybe the algorithm maybe it's like it's all i hear you guys fucking talk about anymore (laughs) On that site, it said, quote, the frontal lobes are considered our behavior and emotional control center and home to our personality. So if you have Mm -hmm. damage to your frontal lobe, it can completely change you as a person. Yeah. You know, I've heard that. I mean, I think we all have if we're listening to this podcast. (laughs) Right. Yeah. As soon as Raymond got out of the hospital, he was picked up for stealing clothing and ended up in prison for a year. It was his cellmate during that prison stay that taught him about voodoo and black magic. He left prison thinking his black magic skills would make him be able to charm and con women and he took that to New York City. So he started his own little con artist gig. He would find women who had placed personal ads lonely hearts ads is what they were called. Mm -hmm. He would date them and dote on them and steal from them before fucking off to the next woman also yeah. have you watched no i have not tinder yet. swindler I oh know, fuck, for you dude. to say that yeah i don't know watch how that it's fucking bananas but anyway so this guy was doing semi-similar things on a smaller scale mm-hmm. what if i had a lisp and i just said that this guy's doing <laughs> semi-similar things on a smaller scale <laughs> i'd be more in love with you than i already am This is why I have to wait on drinking the rest of this coffee. I've had a lot. Have you? Oh my God. Okay. I got to meet you at your level. I've had a lot. So (sighs) the only instance that possibly more than robbery had occurred was with one woman he took home with him to Spain. Remember, he's still got a wife and four kids in Spain. And I don't even know if his wife to this point really knew the extent of what happened to him on that ship. So he brings this woman, he introduces her to his wife, and then this woman died of mysterious circumstances. And and Raymond was willed all of her property through forgery. Okay. Okay. I believe he went back to the States prior to getting all of her shit. But anyway, he went back there and in 1947 continued his cons. Okay. So we're going to pause on him. We're going to learn about Martha real quick. 
Martha Seabrook was born on May 6th, 1920 in <gasps> Milton. Oh my God. It's three days after my birthday. <laughs> That's so <Yeah>. crazy. <laughs> she was born in Milton, Florida. The, it's bananas if you read about her. Everything mentioned that she was heavier and said that it had to do with a glandular condition. It serves zero purpose to propel her story mm -hmm. it has very little importance but it's nonetheless mentioned in absolutely fucking everything that talks about her jesus it painted her like this freak show of a person mm -hmm. for her weight when really everything that i read placed her between 200 and 300 pounds okay. which is like not no. i just don't it just i don't know yeah. it was also like the tw she was born in the 20s 30s 40s 50s i mean i don't know i guess it's a different it was a different time it all comes off super fucking fast shamey and i hate it yeah. but anyway at 10 martha was sexually assaulted by her brother when she told her mom that bitch blamed martha and beat her within an inch of her life what as a teen she briefly traveled with the circus she then wanted to get into nursing but her weight was a job barrier again she wasn't that fucking big what like her weight didn't keep her from regular day-to-day -day society like she she could function like obviously we know that it's in her life like why can't she be a nurse whatever um they were also smoking in hospitals fuck you guys okay yeah she worked as a nurse at an army hospital in California for a time before getting pregnant and moving solo back to Florida. She told everyone in town that the father died serving in the Pacific War. This made up dead guy was written about in the local paper. Mm -hmm. So she kind of just pulled that. I get it, though. She was supposed to be ashamed for being right. pregnant and being a single woman and whatever. So she had a little girl. Her name was Willa Dean. And then Cute. soon after, she got pregnant with her son, Anthony. And mm -hmm. this time she married the father. His name was Alfred Beck. Uh, her marriage okay. only lasted six months but she went on to keep the name beck so by 1947 martha beck was a lonely 27 year old mother of two working as a nurse at the children's hospital in pensacola florida she decided to place a lonely hearts ad in the paper looking for companionship mm -hmm. remember raymond mm -hmm. he answered that ad with the intention of scamming martha like he had done with all of the others they connect they meet he stays with her for a while in milton before heading back to new york wasn't long before martha was at his doorstep interestingly though raymond was soups into it he liked the way that martha doted on him she waited on him hand and foot for the first time he's like i might keep this one the catch being he wasn't into having her two kids around so this is the only place i really hate martha no this is a place where i start to hate her so martha dumped him off at a salvation army no fucking way yeah he didn't want him so she was like bye kids i can't yeah so raymond's got this relationship with martha now she's given up everything to be with him he's not going to give up his criminal lifestyle so in another interesting turn of events he confesses all of it to martha and she's like cool i'm in let's do this so they continued his grift okay now he had martha posing as his sister while he conned these lonely women having his sister around really added to his cred women were more likely to trust him they felt safer around a dude who had such a close relationship with his sister mm -hmm. you know he was basically like well, I take care of my sister. So it's what like if you were hanging out with a dude and he's like, yeah, my, I got to take care of my sister or whatever. You'd be like, that's you seem like that's a nice, nice guy. That's nice. Yeah. Even though Martha was a part of this now, she did not condone Raymond sleeping with any of these women. Mm -hmm. He still did. OK, yeah, like he gives a shit. No. In 1949, 66-year-old Mark, Janet, Faye and Raymond were engaged. While she was staying with Raymond, Martha had found them in bed together and fucking 
lost it. She smashed mm-hmm. Janet's head in with a hammer. And then, for good measure, Raymond strangled Janet, I'm assuming, to finish things. Yeah. Because, like, oh, my God, you just hit her in the head and we're going to get in trouble and whatever. When Janet's family became suspicious of them, Raymond and Martha moved to the suburbs outside of Grand Rapids, Michigan, where they began another con on a young widow, Delphine Downing. Delphine also had a two-year-old daughter. At one point, when the pair was staying with her, she had allegedly gotten worked up about something and Raymond gave her some sleeping pills. While she slept, Martha had become irritated with the two-year-old and choked her. Like to death? No. Okay. She was still alive, but Raymond was pissed and felt like Delphine would wake up and be upset that the daughter had marks on her. Fucking of course. Yeah. His solution was he shot Delphine while she was passed out um, and killed her. They stayed in the house for a number of days after he killed her. And the whole time, they have this two-year-old who was heartbroken over the loss of her mom. Okay? Yeah. Martha got mad at this little girl for crying and drowned her in a basin of water. Okay. What in the f- actual fuck? Yeah, Ugh. dude. Now having two bodies, these pieces of trash buried them in the basement of their own house. This is back when, like, basements were dirt floor. Yeah, like the one I have now, yeah. Yeah. I grew up in a house that had a dirt floor basement until my dad finished it or whatever down there. Yeah. It didn't take long for neighbors to notice the absence of Delphine and her toddler. Out of concern, the police were called and Martha and Raymond confessed almost immediately. They were worried about the... So they... Well, okay. So they were worried about the New York murder coming to light. So they wanted to be arrested in Michigan to avoid the death penalty because New York had the death penalty at the time, but not Michigan. Yeah, okay. When questioned, 34-year-old Raymond told police all about his voodoo powers over women and confessed to upwards of 17 murders with Martha by his side. Eventually, he recanted everything he wasn't caught red-handed for. Yeah, okay. Even through their efforts, the two were still extradited to New York, where they were also found guilty and sentenced to death. Okay, good. On March 8th, 1951, both were executed by electric chair. Their official last words, Raymond said, quote, I want to shout it out. I love Martha. What do the public know about love? And Martha said, quote, my story is a love story, but only those tortured by love can know what I mean. Imprisonment in the death house has only strengthened my feelings for Raymond. And then they were electrocuted. Fucking gross. I know. They were not well. That's so fucked up. Yeah, they fed like the worst parts of each other. I hate that. Mm-hmm. I fucking hate that. <laughs> God. Yeah. I want a cheese stick and I ran out. I want an angry chew. I want an angry string cheese bolts. <laughs> After that, I need a fucking smoko. I'll tell you that much. <sighs> Okay, well, let's finish this up and then and you can go ahead and do that. Follow us on Instagram at SVUPod. Check out our website, SVUPod.com. Join our Patreon. The Garbage Cookie episodes is just this same episode without all of the extra shit cut out. We go off on fucking tangents. Last week's episode was fucking like 20 minutes longer. You know, sometimes a little bit less, sometimes a little bit more. It depends on how much coffee we have. Mm-hmm. Or get like super, super deep dive where it's like, this is too far in unless you're going to be really intense about it right and we also have friendship boats i just re-listened to october's because somebody mentioned it in the facebook group and i was like which one was october and it was that story about when you know who shit his pants in the backyard of that party oh yeah yeah go check it out go check out the patreon there's all kinds of stuff and you're supporting us so (laughs) everybody wins especially us (laughs) okay next week season three episode 21 denial tasha you're gonna hate this a woman is raped at a party. The attacker is quickly caught, but the detectives must still determine why the victim was carrying a finger from a long dead infant. 
Yeah. Oh, what the fuck? All right. Well, we'll uh, do that. See you next week. Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. Everything's off with the way you look. Every single one of you. None of you look good. Is it picture date the precinct? Because you're <laughs> fucked. All of you. <laughs> well, here we go. Here we go now. And here we go. The 90s. <laughs> right? Nineties. Give me a give me a give me a give Don't. Thank you to our elite squad patrons: Haley K, Sonia W, Jenny S, Sky K, Nikki B, Marissa M, Elky H, Sarah A, Annie G, Mary D, Andrew. Rebecca D. Miranda B. Shelby W. Lex. Emily T. Kayla W. Mallory G. <laughs> the G was on another. <laughs> <laughs> you were like disappointed. <laughs> Eliza W. Bonita R. Marin. <laughs> Vanessa. Amy P. Jess M. Summer M. Melanie G. Courtney W. Ursula S. Huh. Emily A. Katrina C. Kate H. Uyanga. Nicole R. Julia P. Sapphire. Kayla. Allison B. Shy R. Catherine M. Kate P. Jessica S. Nicole M. And Acacia V. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. We really appreciate you. You are great. Great, 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 great. Thanks. 